We're going to look at Let the Fire Fall in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're talking about a gentleman named Elijah. Uh, he appears suddenly on the scene here in 1 Kings 17. And uh, his name means the Lord, uh, or Jehovah is my God. And uh, Je- Elijah was, again, one of those uh, interesting fellows in, in the Bible, in the fact that at uh, times in incredible boldness and other times incredible weakness. And really, I think many of us can relate with that in times where we are, we're bold, and then other times you're like, I should have been bold, but I was kind of a big old wimp. And Elijah's one of those men. He was courageous in uh, confronting Ahab, a king, uh, who was incredibly wicked. He had an unbelievably wicked wife, Jezebel, uh, who killed a lot of people. Uh, she was a liar, and uh, she ended up killing Nabal and, t- and stealing his vineyard all on false uh, charges, trumped up charges. And uh, we're going to look at seven different miracles, which we have looked at some. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, we, we first of all looked at in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, a nationwide drought. Uh, and then verses 2 through 7, uh, Elijah was fed by ravens. I don't know, uh, God wants to keep you humble, he's going to feed you by ravens, uh, some dirty birds. And especially as they're, you know, you better not have your garbage can lid here up in town because those ravens, I don't know what their noses or their beaks or whatever they got, but man, they have a keen sense to uh, terrorize your garbage can if it's up at all. Uh, they do have food. Uh, then, uh, and then Elijah's fed from empty vessels by a widow woman. Unbelievable that he goes to this woman who says, I only have a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour left. He says, but I want you to feed me first. You know, and, and, and us today, we might oftentimes think, well, what a selfish act. But she complied because she's like, well, I'm going to die anyway. So if I die, you know, an hour later or, or, you know, it doesn't matter. And uh, he said, God will provide. And sure enough, God provided and continued to provide. And we're going to pick up here uh, a life for a dead boy. And uh, verse 17 of 1 Kings chapter 17. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my son to remembrance and to slay my son? Now, remember this, that it was God. She was intending to earlier just die because they had no provision. And yet now she saw God provide, and she again, she blames Elijah for the death of her son. It's unbelievable sometimes our lack of faith in the Lord. And... uh, Verse 18, she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with the old man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? He said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee. Let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know, that thou art a man of God, and the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. It's unbelievable, really, the first, this is the first recorded instance in Scripture of a resurrection. But it's also amazing that she's, she was going to die a long time before. I mean, 
days, if not months or years, however, however long, there's a period of time, that God continued to provide the oil and the flour during the drought. And her son was going to die, and she, rather than thanking God for the extended days of her child, she blames Elijah for, she said, are you here just to condemn me, to bring my sins to remembrance? He didn't just faint, he died. And we understand that it wasn't just a swooning, it wasn't like he went into a coma, he died, there was no breath. If your lungs stop breathing, you die. In James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So the great distress of thy mother, and she even, she uses some very strong terminology. She said, did you come to slay my son? We find that in verse 18. She feels guilty potentially for her past sins. She believed that God was punishing her for her sins. And her son's death was God's way of punishing and bringing up her her misdeeds, her ill, uh, ill actions from the past. And she thinks, well, because I've got a man of God, a prophet in my house, I'm safe. <clears throat> you know, whether you, you have a, a man of God, a pastor, you have someone who's close to God in your house, does not mean that death won't come to your house. It doesn't mean that you won't have hard times. I mean, here is Elijah... Again, it's amazing that Elijah, she had made a, a little room for him to stay in. And Again, <laughs> I just find the humility that Elijah has to have. God says, I'm going to let a widow woman take care of you. You know how humbling that would be? You know, sometimes as a man, we want to provide for ourselves. We want to do it ourselves. And yet God would bring Elijah the, to the position. He says, listen, I'm going to bring a lady, a widow woman, and she's going to, Take care of you. But this widow woman is thinking, God is bringing up my past. You know, and she asked, like, Master, you know, who did this sin? You know, John chapter 9, verse 2, reminds us of the question, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did this sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, and this idea that Somehow, because there's a physical disability, it, it necessitates that there's sin. No. And Jesus would go on to say, no, that God would be glorified. So, and there's other passages of scriptures on this idea uh, of physical disabilities, but you know what? Sometimes physical disabilities allow us, you know, it's not a mistake, it's not an accident, it's not, it doesn't take God by surprise when someone is born disabled. You know what? God has a great work to do through that person's life. And they're wonderfully made. But Eliza's response is to take that child and he pours himself out before God, crying. Now, Elijah puts himself at the mercy of God, understanding that only God can give life. Elijah, in his position... There, as we find himself stretching over the child, he's completely helpless. And Elijah's position also in this act of humility lets us know, you know what? We are all helpless. We all are lacking in the ability, and Elijah puts complete faith in God because he has nowhere else to turn. 
In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 34, just a little bit further over, And it says, and he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. It was kind of like Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 10. And Paul went down and fell on him, embracing him, said, trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Again, someone had died. But you want to know what happened? The death of her son, what did it do? Look with me at verse 4, 24, excuse me, 1 Kings 17. She said, now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. She says, listen, now I know. You've got, a, <laughs> you've got power with God. She said, I know, Elijah, that you're God's man. She put, it's the death of her son that would cause her to ultimately place her faith in God. Elijah had lived with them, showing that God would sustain her in her every need. Now, she wasn't rich, but her, her flour and her oil didn't run out. And now she see that God imparts life. His private ministry, can you imagine, you know, and I'd love to see Elijah someday, and we will in heaven. And I, I keep thinking, you know, in Revelation 11, the, you know, he's probably one of these two evangelists calling down fire out of heaven on the, the enemies and such. But anyways, with this being said, she gets an opportunity to see Elijah day in and day out. What's he like? How does he talk? Is he grumpy at night? Is he grumpy in the morning? Does he have to have his coffee? I don't know if they have coffee back then, but anyways. But she got to see his private ministry, and it was something with which she would marvel. But then, obviously, she, with the death of her child, she said, God, uh, what have I done? People who prove themselves faithful in the small places can be trusted by the Lord in the large places, in the bigger places. You know, in Matthew 25, 21, God says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And as you think upon this very truth, you know what, if we can't be faithful in just the small things, if I can't just be faithful to have a daily walk with God, a daily time with God, why is he going to give me greater responsibility? Elijah had proved the power of God in Baal's own home territory. He now has a ready to challenge and defeat Baal in the kingdom of Israel. If you remember this, the kingdom of Israel, the king, you know, all ten tribes, because you have Judah and Benjamin, but Ahab was there in Israel, in the ten tribes. Not one of those kings was ever noted as being a good king in the ten tribes. They were in Judah, because you'd have Jehoshaphat and Asa and Abijah and and they had periods of time. And, and, th- and there was also a relative goodness. If they were really good, like Hezekiah uh, and others, they would compare them with David their father. They did after the works of David their father. Which would have been like a great, great, great grandfather and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, Elijah is showing the power of God. In three years of exile, he's been hunted. 
He's running for his life, and he learns a good deal about God during this time when Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. I hate that man. And you know what? When we stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and we live for God, by your testimony, you're going to be in accountability to others, though you may not say many words. He has learned day by day. What are some of the lessons Elijah's learned? He's learned, first of all, God provides at a brook, sometimes on the most unlikely means, from a dirty bird. The ravens. I mean, consider this. The ravens were not kosher. And yet God provides. Sometimes God may use people in our lives who are not believers, but yet God uses them to bless us. Then he uses a very poor, impoverished woman, and sometimes we don't like to be a burden on others. We don't want to inconvenience someone. And Elijah pretty much totally disrupted this woman's life. By the way, give me food first. Man, I would, I would, I'd really struggle with that one. I would be like, God, can't I let her eat first and then I'll eat? No. But God has been preparing Elijah for the greatest challenge of faith in his entire ministry. Think about this. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 4. We'll come back to 1 Kings, but... Uh, an account that the Lord uses of a story in his sermon he preaches in the synagogue of Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. I, I, I remember when I used to work in the glass factory, I'd have to work with sometimes some very large sheets of glass. I mean, I think the largest was like 120 by 128 or something. I mean, they were just huge sheets of glass. And if that glass is, I would have to sand every edge, top and bottom of that glass. You'd have to sand the corners because if I fail to sand the corners, if God fails to put the small trials in my life, when the great trial comes, I explode. And I put that sheet of glass in the furnace sometimes, 14, 1500 degrees Fahrenheit, and that glass, and then it would go through the heat, and then as it's going into the quench with the the air blowing on it, it just explodes. It's a big old mess to clean up. You go into that furnace of a real affliction of your life and you explode. Sometimes the small trials that you may have on a daily basis, God is saying, listen, I'm preparing you for the greatest test of your life, but also the greatest ability to show my glory. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. There was delivered unto him the book of prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So they're asking, Is this not just Joseph's son? He said unto them, You will surely say unto me in this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also 
here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet except in his own country, but I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when, Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisius, the prophet, Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, saving name in the Syrian. All they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. You know what he's saying? He says, listen, Elijah only healed Gentiles. What? I mean, you consider this. Elisha healed Naaman. He was no friend of Judah. He was no friend of Israel. I mean, he, he literally, if you read the account of Naaman, he takes people captive. He's got a little maid girl that's a captive, and she has such a faith in God, seeing her family torn apart by Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria. But she says, there is a man back in Israel that has power, and Naaman goes back, and he's healed. And he comes to faith in God. But the religious people of Israel, they get angry when Jesus says, listen, there's power of God, but you've resisted it. Verse 29, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill wherein their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. I have to say, that'd be a pretty scary thing. I mean, they take you to the tip of the city and they say, we're going to throw you off the cliff. It'd be kind of like going out to the mine and having them say, hey, we're going to chuck you off into this open pit. But you want to know something? Jesus, I love this, verse 30. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. He said, my time's not ready. I'm not ready to die yet. <laughs> Some would compliment his gracious words. But understanding the sovereign grace of God, and Jesus understood, listen, I healed Gentiles. They're asking, is Jesus Joseph's son, which he's not. He never affirms that. But all, just as an aside here, we find that Jesus said, listen, I'm just going to walk through the midst of the crowd. I've got power. I'm not dying yet. And just a thought as I think about that, you know what, when scary incidences happen in our life, if it's our time, it's our time. I can't stop it. Sometimes it's tragic, sometimes it's traumatic, sometimes it's sickness, but I can't stop when it's my time to go. We come into the situation here of Elijah's successors, you would find in 2 Kings 5, and there were plenty of Jewish lepers he could have cured, and yet he didn't. Our Lord's emphasis is on the grace of God. God had the grace. God had the grace upon a man who was an enemy of Israel. Jesus wants the Israelites to notice here in this Luke 4 passage that Jesus was not only the God of the Jews, he was the God of the Gentiles. He was the God of all people. In Romans 3.29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. And the, the Jewish people don't like to think that God is the God of all people. And what do they do? They get angry. Elijah's ministry to the, this widow and her son is proof that God is no respecter of person. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whether a person is a religious Jew 
a pagan Gentile, you can be so close to almost knowing God, so close to almost knowing Him, and yet not know Him. Or you can just be completely dismissive of God, but it doesn't matter. God still, the only way of salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Then as we come to the next passage of Scripture, it's an amazing thing here in 1 Kings 15. Let's read first 16 verses. You know what, Elijah's, I imagine that what he's learned, he said, listen, God provides. God is the author of life and death. When a child's born and a person perishes or dies, God controls it. Elijah understood that my God will take care of me no matter what. My God will protect me even from a wicked Queen Jezebel who wants to lop off my head. And she thinks she can get me, but not if God doesn't allow it. And God hid me with a widow woman. Let's look at chapter 18, verse 1. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. It's amazing that he says that. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all fountains of water, and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses." And mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his, fell on his face, and said, Art thou that my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy lord, behold, Elijah is here. <laughs> Obadiah is like, Elijah, you're crazy. Look at me, verse 9. He said, what? What have I sinned that thou wouldst deliver thy servant to the hand of Ahab to slay me? Elijah, you're nuts. I'm not going to Ahab. I mean, that guy's a lunatic. He's a whiny, snivelly king. Kind of reminds me of, as a young kid, I remember watching, uh, I think it was Robin Hood or something like this, this whiny, snivelly uh, king that was in there. And, but anyways, you just think about that. I just... This person that's just whining. I mean, Ahab is one of those just weak, weak persons. And Obadiah's like, I don't want to go to that guy. I'm afraid of that man, but I'm also afraid of his wife. Verse 10, as, Ob- as the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom, whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my mouth, from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And he shall slay me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. 
there's several things that we learn in this passage of Scripture. Uh, and I look at it, and I'll, I'll go through here. But when, as I just read this passage of Scripture just before I forget. Sometimes we may do a great act of faith in the past. We may take a step of faith and say, God, it's a great thing. I'm so glad. So I don't need to do this other thing you're asking me to now. It's just too scary. We use the past faith for God as somehow I've retired from this idea of stepping into another area of scary faith. Faith is stepping into the unknown with a complete reliance upon God. I want you to keep that thought in mind. Now, Obadiah, he's a man that, I mean, can you imagine taking care of a hundred prophets, going back and forth between two caves, ensuring enough food on a daily basis? That would be tiresome. That would be wearisome. But Obadiah is a man of great authority. He was a governor of the palace. He was a courageous servant of God. His name means servant of Jehovah. But was he a courageous servant or was he also a timid compromiser? He was afraid you know, to let his witness be known. He feared the Lord greatly. But he also feared Jezebel's purge to kill the prophets. And so he rescued and supported those who served the Lord. And he said, God, I've, I've cared for all of these prophets. I hit them. God, I've, I've given my life. I fear you greatly. Elijah, why do you want me to go to this crazy king? Don't you know all the good I've already done? <laughs> it's kind of like as we get older and sometimes may come to retirement. We said, God, I've done a lot of good in the past. I, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to step out in faith. But Obadiah says, you know what, I'll do what he says. Obadiah was searching the country for grass and foliage to feed the horses and mules you know, in the army. And Ahab wasn't especially concerned about the people, but he wanted his army strong. Here, this is the king in Obadiah. You know, and the Lord leads Elijah to the road that Obadiah was using, and they meet. Obadiah, go back and tell him what I've told you. You know, I, I like, you know what the wonderful thing about Scripture is? It's transparent. You know what transparency does? It lets us know. They're the same flesh and blood as we are. Yes, Elijah was a man of great power, but he was also a man that, you know, he's like, God, seriously, i got to be by a brook. God, i got to go to a widow woman. Obadiah, you want me to go do what? Don't you value me, Elijah? I mean, do you hate me? I mean, are you trying to send me, get me killed? You know what, I love that because I think it lets us know that, you know what, the same fears they had, we fear. God doesn't use the strength of his servants, he uses the obedience and faithfulness of his servants. In the Bible, as we would look in John 3 and then later on in the scriptures, Joseph of Arimathea didn't make a big fuss about their faith in Christ, and yet God would use them. I mean, Joseph of Arimathea would put, take the body of Jesus and put him in a brand new tomb. John chapter 19. Esther kept quiet about her, her uh, Jewish heritage until it was absolutely necessary, and God used 
her heritage and the famous saying for such a time as this. I don't know if you've ever been through the crucible of a trial in your life that literally broke you to the core of your being and you had nowhere to go. God sometimes uses that low-profile believer to make a great contribution for Christ. I mean, you think about that little servant girl that was there in Naaman's house. She would say, there's a man of God back in Israel. <laughs> and you know what? The second in command of Syria would have, the God, would have faith in God from a little girl that said, here's a man that terrorized my country, my people, but I still have faith in God. Elijah meets King Ahab, verses 17 through 19. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. When a king says, you're the troublemaker here, he says, no, king, it's you. <laughs> I, I mean, that's some courage there. How's our faith? Ahab knew the terms of the covenant of God. How to get Israel to get blessings. I mean, you think about Jesus and Paul were considered as troublemakers. In Luke 23, 5, and they were the more fierce, saying, he stirreth up the people teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place, Acts 16, 20. And they would say in a portion of that verse, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Acts 17, 6 also. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. You know what? Sometimes your faith in God will cause unrest for those around you. It's not a comfortable position. I hate... I don't like people being mad at me. I really don't. I, it, I do not like it. And if at all possible, I will try to do whatever I can to not have it. Elijah tells Ahab, Ahab, you're a troublemaker. And you know what? Let's show that God is real. I want you to bring all your prophets of Baal. Think about this. I mean, this is like, I used to watch, and I wouldn't condone it, but uh, WWF, and it's changed now, but anyways, I mean, this is like Royal Rumble. I mean, God is on display here, and Elijah's saying, listen, I'm going to show who's the true God. I'm going to show who's the true, who's the true power. He goes to Mount Carmel, located near the border of Phoenicia, and a place for the Phoenician god Baal to meet Jehovah, the God of Israel. He takes the 450 prophets of Baal. Let's read a little further. Verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah to the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Sometimes 
You may have to stand as a lone survivor, a lone sheep in the midst of a crowd of people going the opposite direction. And sometimes you think, am I doing the wrong thing? And Elijah says, if he's God, serve him. If Baal is the true power, then go all in. Stop trying to do both. Verse 23. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord that's Jehovah, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. I mean, it's kind of like one of those tests. Elijah, if God doesn't show up, he's going to look like a royal buffoon. Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many. Call in the name of your gods, put no fire, but put no fire under they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. It came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. And either he is t- take, talking, or he is pursuing, or he's in a journey, peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. It came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied, until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, Fill four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. He said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that, am thy, that I am thy servant. I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. Why does he ask God to hear him? That this people may know that thou art the Lord God. That thou hast turned their heart back again. What's Elijah all about? You say, God, my people, they don't know you. They don't know your power. They don't know the goodness of who you are. Elijah, just as he would lay himself on that little boy, he lays himself out, willing to be made a public example of mockery. Now, we know the story. We get to read the end of the story. At this point, no one knows what's going to happen. You have to stand before a crowd and be made to potentially look like the ultimate fool. You're on the mount. Elijah says, I'm tired of the people trying to serve God and trying to serve themselves through Baal. 
He says, I want them to know there's a real God. I want them to see that there's a power far exceeding everything else. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Elijah says, people, people, please. You've forgotten God. You have not seen God work. You've just been through three and a half years of some very tough famine conditions. In Leviticus chapter 9, God tells them, you turn from me to go after false idols. I'm holding back the weather and I'm going to hold back the rain. In Psalm 2-4 we understand, He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Elijah taunts the prophets of Baal. I mean, I mean if you want to put it all on display here, it's one thing to say I'm going to call the prophets up. You guys have fire from heaven come down. Okay, we'll do that. That's fine. We have a power for God. But it's another thing to taunt them. I mean, you're really putting God on. You're, I mean, you're going to look like a complete heel if God doesn't work because now you've even been mocking them. Whew. I don't know if I'd want to be in that position. The altar is destroyed. He rebuilds it. He sanctifies it. He uses 12 stones to say, listen, Israel, you still have God's power. He digs a trench three times with all the water, lest they think there's any fire uh, secretly down below. I mean, he's like, pour on the water. <laughs> the fire of the Lord consumes the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and licks up the water. I mean, God just obliterates it all. It's gone. You might think of beam me up, Scotty, but I mean, ever, God just sends lightning or fire from heaven and it's gone. Not a dust left. I'd like to go back through the videotapes in heaven and watch this event. And then he commands, Elijah says, he's God. Now I want you to take all the prophets of Baal and kill them all. The law required idolaters to be stoned to death, but Elijah had them killed with a sword. And then what happens in chapter 18, verses 11 through 45, I'll have to pick up next week there uh, on this, and I might read, talk a little bit more about this situation here on Mount Carmel. But... You know what the people get to see? They get to see God be real. And you know what people are looking for today? Not only are they looking for a Christian who's real, but they're also looking for a Christian who's real with whom God works through. You have troubles and trials in your life, but is God working in your life? Is God answering prayers? Is God giving strength? Is God giving you what you need through whatever you may be going through? 
Because as we go through whatever the crucible, or whatever, whatever the challenge is, and God works in our lives, every generation needs to see that God is real. Not just by the stories that grandma and grandpa or mom and dad tell, but they need to see for themselves that there is a God in heaven who is still real, that he still works, and he's still powerful to work. This is what God is looking for. And as we, in this year, as a church, that is something that God has just impressed upon my heart this year. To show himself mighty. I don't know how. Sometimes I'm thinking, okay, Lord. But he wants to show himself he's still God. And he wants our glory. He wants the glory. And may we give him the praises. I'll quit there, and I'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we sure love you. And, Father, I thank you for the great opportunity we have to gather around your word and, Lord, read of these stories of people with whom you've showed yourself mighty, Lord, with whom you've brought people back to yourself by showing yourself to be exclusive above all other man-contrived gods. Father, I yield today to Thee. I love You. Father, may we live in faith. Sometimes, Lord, as You call us to do the hard things, may we step forward in faith and trust You alone. I love You. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.